basically whenever you operate through the right legal structure, you can you can do so in a way where you're not paying U.S. tax each year on the profits from the business. This is Chris Reynolds and welcome to the Entrepreneur House podcast. The Entrepreneur House is a business accelerator for established entrepreneurs creating events and retreats all over the world. If you're ready to take your business to the next level with other successful entrepreneurs, be sure to apply at theentrepreneurhouse.com. And now on to today's episode. Today, listeners, it's my honor to welcome the founder of U.S. Tax, Stuart Patton, to the show. Stuart is a U.S. tax attorney and expat entrepreneur currently residing in Belize. He specializes in helping U.S. citizens who live and invest outside the United States understand and optimize their tax situation. Everyone knows the challenges that one can have with taxes. Entrepreneurs have a much bigger job dealing with taxes than the average person, and those expat and digital nomad entrepreneurs have another layer to figure out. Stuart, being one of us, himself has figured out how to handle these challenges, and he makes it as easy as possible to handle your finances while abroad. I've been studying this stuff for years and I'm surprised how many entrepreneurs don't know about or understand how their taxes work. So today we're going to talk to Stuart about some of the little known advantages of being an entrepreneur abroad and how to move your money where you need it, when you need it, and how we can maximize our business profit and minimize our taxes. And with that, let me welcome Stuart Patton to the show. How are you doing, Stuart? Good, good. Thanks, Chris. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. And is it sunny and warm in Belize today or what's it like? Yeah, it's another brutal Belize winter here in uh, the waning days of January. It's down to like about 70, I think, today. So that's a, that's pretty cold. We're all wearing our uh, hoodies. And uh, <laughs> and so, yeah, it's pretty rough. Yeah, it sounds absolutely horrible. So we're going to dive into just talking taxes and corporation and where's the best place to put our money for entrepreneurs and expat entrepreneurs or digital nomad entrepreneurs. And okay, so cool. first, tell us kind of about your business briefly and what you guys offer and exactly what you do. Okay, great. So I'm a U.S. tax attorney and I focus on helping Americans who live or invest abroad. And, you know, a decent portion of my practice is helping expat entrepreneurs and digital nomads with structuring their business. And, you know, this this is one of those areas where there are a lot of voices out there on the internet that talk about this stuff. But, um, you know, None of them, except for me, are U.S. tax attorneys who actually do this. You know, so a lot of times people kind of forget that tax is a body of law. And so if you want to apply a complicated body of law to a set of facts and figure out the best result, well, that's what lawyers do. You know, so in in this whole expat tax uh, in international entrepreneurship space, you know, there there are lots of people who aren't lawyers who are who are just, uh, you know, offshore gurus is kind of what I call them. And so. Uh, so that's why, you know, it's, it's, it's been a fun, um, it's been a fun process getting a, a practice together and helping people in this space because it's something that, you know, I'm passionate about since I live outside the U S myself. And then, and then the clients are just good people. You know, I used to, I spent my entire career before moving to Belize, uh, three years ago, uh, working at big law firms and, you know, the kinds of people I worked with at big law firms were, uh, you know, different than like <laughs> the, the kinds of people that, have their own business and are, and are, and are passionate about it. You know, I work, I work for, you know, a lot of times my client was a big company or something, you know, so I can't, I can't like, I can't like fly to Barcelona and, and, and have lunch with my client, you know, instead mm-hmm. the, the person I was talking to was someone who works at a big company. And that's just a diff- usually a different sort of person than like an entrepreneur. So, um, 
so yeah, it's been a lot of fun, and that's what I do, and um, and uh, and I'm really enjoying it. Did you start working with Expat or Digital Nomad Taxes before you left the U.S., or is that something that you got inspired to do after you had left the U.S. and, and saw there was an, an opportunity there? Yeah, so you know, uh, after finishing law school, I started at a uh, big law firm in Texas, and then I eventually moved to Chicago to another big law firm. And then I became a partner at Kirkland and Ellis LLP in Chicago uh, eventually. And I, I mainly did tax uh, for private equity funds and real estate funds. Mm-hmm. So forming those funds, doing deals. And I did a lot of international tax, but it was in the context of like representing, uh, you know, like the Korean uh, postal service in an investment in a U.S. private equity fund or real estate fund, things like that. Or a, a U.S.-based real estate fund making an investment outside the United States. Uh, and so, you know, the working working with the same tax issues, just in a different context. And, and then w- once I, you know, got really tired of Belize winters and never seeing my kids and, and all that stuff that comes with the big law firm lifestyle, um, and then, you know, my wife and I decided to move to Belize, I, I kind of found this niche of, of digital nomads and, and expat entrepreneurs that didn't really have uh, a resource to actually show them how how the rules you know really work here. Instead, there's just a bunch of these um, people just hawking stuff, you know, trying to sell them this company or that company or things like that. Instead of actually actually you know thinking through the 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 rules and the process and the structure and actually you know applying some good thinking to, to how this all really works. I remember back in, I guess it was probably the late 2000s, late 2000s, yeah, and maybe mid and even early 2000s, the infamous Nevada C-Corp was really popular, and there were all these gurus, you know, taking these, uh, starting these sem- seminars up to sell the, the Nevada C-Corp, and it didn't matter if, you know, your tax situation was better off as, a, as an S-Corp in Arizona or another state, they just told you every reason why the Nevada C-Corp was the, the most amazing thing on earth. And are those guys still around? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's all sorts of, uh, you know, people walking around with a hammer, you know, trying to convince other people that they're nails, you know, so that, mm-hmm. you know, they, they have their one little thing and, and, uh, and, you know, that they have a box and then they tell you why you need to jump into that box, you know, mm-hmm. and, and so, yeah, so Nevada C-Corp is one of those. And then, and then, you know, there are lots of other, there are lots of other little things like that that are kind of like the pet project of, uh, of different people and they kind of go around uh, selling it. So, yeah. Excellent. So let's talk about the advantages of creating a business inside the U.S. versus outside the U.S. You know, I've, everyone's probably got a book inside of them somewhere, right? So I, I think I have a book uh, and I don't have a title for it yet, but I have a subtitle. And so I think the subtitle will be something like, uh, why every entrepreneur should be an expat and every expat should be an entrepreneur. And of course, the reason is, you know, you can save a whole bunch of U.S. tax uh, and non-U.S. tax as well. So, you know, really the, the, the fact pattern to be in if you're an entrepreneur and, and you're a U.S. citizen is to is to, um, you know, if you're if you're living in the U.S. and you're getting your business together, well, you just have to pay a whole bunch of U.S. tax on the profits from the business each year and then the gain on sale of that business. Mm-hmm. But if you if you move outside the U.S. 
and you know some other things are present like you know you're doing a business and not a profession and you don't have employees in the u.s who are running the business um then you can hold your business through a non-us corporation and when you do that then you know it's a little complicated and you know lots of articles and stuff on my site that go into details on how this works but but basically whenever you operate through the right legal structure, you can you can do so in a way where you're not paying U.S. tax each year on the profits from the business, and then you're also not paying U.S. tax each year on gain on the sale of the business. So you can defer the U.S. tax on that stuff until way down the road, which allows you to invest $100 for every $100 you make uh, instead of, you know, when you live in the U.S., and you make $100 from your business, before you get to invest it, it turns it magically into $60 or $65 or, or you know, $70, depending on you know, which tax bracket you're in and which, which state you live in. Um, so, so, so yeah, you, so it's a really awesome thing. When you mentioned waiving that to further down the road, you mean paying them then when you sell the, sell the business? No, you, you, so basically, whenever you live outside the U.S. and you operate a business through a non-U.S. corporation, then you wear two different hats as it relates to that company. First, you're an employee of the company. And then second, you are the owner of the company. So when your employee hat on, uh, you can make up to about $100,000 a year uh, from working for your own company without paying any U.S. tax at all. So that's that rules the foreign earned income exclusion. Mm-hmm. So So that allows you to live outside the U.S., you know, full time. So you can only go to the U.S. 11 months per year. Uh, sorry, sorry, <laughs> the opposite. You can only go to the U.S. about a month per year. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you you can make up to about $100,000 a year completely tax-free. Uh, and so that's, you know, um, your salary from the company. Then in your role uh, as the owner of the company, the the net profit above your salary you can leave it in the company and then you can defer paying U.S. tax on, on that amount of profit until down the road whenever the company uh, pays that profit out to you as a dividend. So, so with respect to a certain portion, with the amount paid to you as a salary, that's tax-free. You know, you get $100,000 tax-free. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then with respect to the net profit above your salary, you can leave that in the company and and you defer paying U.S. tax. And so that deferral allows you to invest uh, in the interim. So, so the amount that otherwise would go out the door to pay your tax bill, now you get to realize a return on that amount. Um, and so it's just, a, you know, it's just like the power of compounding interest applying on, on more money than, than you otherwise would be able to if you, if you lived in the U.S. or if you lived outside the U.S. and you didn't, you didn't use a non-U.S. corporation structure. Okay, so I know a lot of people, when I was living in the U.S. and started my first businesses, um, a lot of people were really gung-ho on the Wyoming LLC, the Nevada C-Corp, incorporating in Delaware, and I think Texas is one, and I think I heard New Mexico um, also. But what are some of the advantages of using those states and staying inside the U.S., um, comparing those to each other, but also um, going abroad with your business? So first of all, if you live in the U.S., then there's no going abroad with your business unless you stop living in the U.S. You know, so, so, so the first step has to be that the entrepreneur themselves has to move outside the U.S. So, so none of this stuff that I talk about uh, works for people who wake up every morning in the United States. 
so, so step one is you got to move outside the U.S. And then, so if, if you live in the U.S., then, then really just form an LLC in the state you live in. That's the easiest way to do it. And, and there's really no juice to be had by forming in Wyoming or, you know, any other state where you don't live. If you do, then there's going to be more paperwork to do because you're going to have to file, um, you're going to file something in the state where you live to get your LLC admitted to do business in that state since, since that's where you live. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, so really there's just nothing to be gained by using a different state uh, when you live in the U.S. And then when you live outside the U.S. and you're using a U.S. LLC as part of your, your structure, often with a non-U.S. corporation as well, um, I just use Wyoming uh, basically because – you know, it's it tends to be cheaper. Um, they they have really good registered agents. There's one in particular that I, that I use a lot and I like. Um, and it's just easier. Like there's no quality component here. You know, it's not like a Delaware LLC or a Texas LLC or a Nevada LLC actually does something for you that a Wyoming LLC doesn't. You know, mm-hmm. so it's all just uh, it's all just the same. So you might as well just go with the cheapest one and the easiest one. So when you say move outside the U.S., what constitutes actually moving outside the U.S.? You just have to actually physically move and, and uh, you know, start waking up every morning in a place that's not the United States. <laughs> um, so, so, yeah, they're kind of – you're absolutely right that there are a lot of different, like, little sub-issues here um, and, and, like, ways to think about what that means. But, but really what I mean is, you know, someone's physical body needs to not be within the, you know, the, the confines of the boundaries of the U.S. And so the easiest way to think about that is just qualify for the foreign earned income exclusion. So to do that, um, you know, the way to think about the foreign earned income exclusion going forward is you, you, you just live outside the U.S. for 11 months per year. The actual way the rule applies is a little more complicated than that. And, and it's a good thing because you can start qualifying for it in the middle of the year. Okay, so the actual statement of the rule is that um, is that you under the physical presence test you have to uh, spend 330 days uh, out of any 12 month period outside the U.S. So you can start uh, at any point. Uh, you know, it could be June, and you can move outside the U.S. And then as long as you spend 330 days outside the U.S. in the 12 month period that starts when you leave. Uh, you, you qualify for the foreign earned income exclusion. And then even on top of that, um, if, you're an, if you're an entrepreneur and you own a business and you, and you own that business through a non-U.S. corporation, then you, you shouldn't be working for that business when you go to the U.S., so your time in the U.S. should be, you know, vac- vacation time as opposed to as opposed to working time. And the reason for that is that when a non-U.S. corporation has an employee in the United States uh, who's doing something substantial to further the business, then that by itself causes the non-U.S. corporation to to be subject to U.S. tax, which is a bad, you know, result. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, so yeah, so you, you I mean. You know all of this offshore corporation stuff, um, and you know using a using a non-U.S. corporation for your in, as part of your legal structure, it works absolute magic, um, and, it, and it and it works really well, and it's a perfectly legal thing to do, as long as the very first step is getting on an airplane and uh, you know actually actually leaving the U.S. There's a lot of digital nomads these days, and say for example, I'm an American digital nomad, and say somebody like me who wants to spend five to six months a year in the U.S. and then another five to six months a year traveling. 
and I have a hundred thousand dollar a year business. It's currently incorporated in the U.S., but I was thinking about incorporating offshore somewhere, say like Panama, to avoid those taxes. Now, am I spending actually too much time in the U.S. per year to make that move? Yeah, basically. Yeah. So you're a you're what I call a half pat. You know, you're not an expat. Okay. You're kind of like you're kind of half half in and half out, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so. From a U.S. tax perspective, you're just like a guy who wakes up every single morning in Kansas, um, you know, except that some mornings you wake up in Rio. Uh, but uh, but from, from a tax perspective, you know, you don't spend enough time outside the U.S. to take advantage of any of the uh, uh, of the benefits that, that I help digital nomads with. And also, if you were to use a non-U.S. corporation for your business, then you would you would pay more tax because your your non-U.S. corporation would be engaged in a trade or business in the United States, mm-hmm. because it would have an employee in the U.S. who is operating it, and that's you. Um, and and so so basically, a non-U.S. corporation, you know, on your facts is just not uh, is just not uh, going to help. You know, what's the number year? Is it a, is it eleven months or is it ten or is it nine months that would actually kind of qualify for? living abroad yeah so how it works is um in order to take the foreign earned income exclusion you have to pass the tax home test which means that your tax home is outside the u.s and your tax home is basically where you work Mm -hmm. so that one's usually not an issue there are some there's some you know odd fact patterns where it is an issue but but generally it's not so uh, so you have to pass the tax home test and then you have to pass either the physical presence test or the bona fide residence test so the physical presence test is the one we talked about earlier. That's the 330 days outside the U.S. in any 12-month period. Mm-hmm. And so so basically 11 months a year outside the U.S. And the other one is called the bona fide residence test. How that one works is you – and this one is like uh, – it, it's complicated because it's wishy-washy and it's subjective and it's based on factors. Okay, so like the IRS guidance literally says that you pass the bona fide residence test if you become a bona fide resident of another country. Mm-hmm. Okay, so it's like, well, what does that mean exactly? You know, so uh, so there are a list of factors, and the idea is you want to get the arrow pointing in the right direction on as many of these factors as possible, and you have to get the arrow pointing in the right direction on the most important factors. So the most important one is um, you have to have some sort of um, citizenship or permanent residence or something that's darn near permanent residence status in the country where you live. Okay. Okay. So the whole idea is you're trying to convince the IRS. You're like, look, I'm a, I'm a Panamanian now. I've got my little Panamanian flag on a little stick, and I'm mm-hmm. waving it around, and I love Panama. And I, you know, I, can, I think canals are the most fantastic thing in the world. You know, whatever. Like, and uh, and so, uh, so you know, you can't really you can't really do that if you're only on like a tourist visa. And you know, you're like, I love Panama. Panama's great. I want to live here forever. But on my 91st day of being here, or my 181st day of being here. Uh, the immigration officials in Panama are going to come drag me out of the country. Well, you're not really uh, a Panamanian, you know. So, so you absolutely have to have some, um, some, you know, permanent uh, residence, or you know, if not permanent residence, then really, really close to permanent, you know, or something. Okay. Um, and and then the benefit of passing. And that's just the first factor. There are other factors like you should be required to pay tax there. And then, you know, you should have your family with you. Like if you leave your 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 wife and 12 kids back in California or something, then it doesn't really look like you're 
meaning to, you know, be in Panama forever. So there are, there are, there are other factors that are less important, but that's the kind of the most important ones. You have to get some, you know, sort of status in the, in the new country. And, and so, so the difference between the physical presence test and the bona fide residence test is that if you pass the bona fide residence test, then you can spend probably up to like four months or so per year in the U.S. Mm-hmm. And, and still qualify for the foreign earned income exclusion. Wow. Okay. okay. So that's the difference is physical presence test gives you one month per year in the U.S. Bonafide residence test gives you up to about four months per year in the U.S. Sounds However, like, go ahead, go ahead. Yeah, sorry. There's the, but there's, remember, there's this whole overlay though. Like that's kind of just the foreign earned income exclusion. There's this whole overlay that if you're an entrepreneur and you want to operate your business through a non-U.S. corporation, well, now you are an employee of a non-U.S. corporation uh, that you also own, so you care about its treatment. Um, and so, if you, so if if you qualify under the bona fide residence test and you spend you know three and a half months uh, per year in the U.S., those those three and a half months need to be vacation time. Mm-hmm. You know, so you need to be throwing a football with your nephews and like playing bingo with grandma or something. You know, so you you can't really be opening up the laptop and sitting down to work on your business because if you do that, then you just caused your non-U.S. corporation to be subject to U.S. tax because it has an employee who's working for it in the United States. Sounds like this could be like a giant game of chess. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah there are lots of, you know, definitely lots of things to think about. And, you know, and then, and then these are all the general rules. You know, things get more complicated whenever you fold in specific facts for someone's business or, or, or what they have going on. So. Um, okay, so let's talk about different places that people are incorporating around the world. I know Panama is popular. Hong Kong recently has gotten more popular. Jersey, not New Jersey, but Jersey, the island off of the UK. Ireland is where Apple incorporates. Gibraltar, which is an island between Spain and Morocco. A lot of people are banking and incorporating into Singapore these days. St. Kitts and some other islands, I think, down in the Caribbean. And Belize is also a popular place. Yeah. So what's your advice? I know this is going to depend on every person's situation is a little bit different. Yeah, I mean, to me, this issue is this issue is probably the least important um, okay. of all the issues around here. It's one of those things where, uh, you know, if you look on the Internet, you'll see people debating the, the pros and cons of different places and, and stuff. But it's really... It really doesn't matter uh, for a U.S. citizen. What matters more is the the U.S. tax aspects, like the stuff we were just talking about. Like, first of all, does a non-U.S. corporation even work for you uh, in your fact pattern? So that that's the first thing to figure out. And then second, uh, you know, he, how I think about it is that when you are a U.S. citizen and and you have determined that a non-U.S. corporation is the best structure for you, um, then the whole idea is that you just want to use a non-U.S. corporation because you get U.S. tax benefits. And so so I like to think of it as basically like, okay, we have 200 or so different countries where we could form a corporation. Um, now, some of those countries are going to impose tax on that, co- on that company uh, simply for being formed there, right? So, you know, places like Germany, Australia, uh, you know, generally your big Western uh, uh, industrialized country. So it's, so it's like, well, there's no reason to pay German tax just out of the blue. Mm-hmm. So let's not form a company there. So that leaves basically all the places you, you just mentioned, you know, so, and then, um, you know, places like Hong Kong and Singapore are really complicated jurisdictions. You have to have a local, uh, company secretary. So you have to pay someone to be an officer of your 
of your company and this is someone you don't know, you're just paying. I think that's kind of a little bit weird. <laughs> then, you know, then you have to have uh, audited financials done the Hong Kong way and you have to present that every year to the government in Hong Kong and that, you know, that costs a couple thousand dollars a year or so. And, you know, then Hong Kong companies are nominally subject to the 16.5% Hong Kong tax mm. and then they, they apply to not be subject to the tax. And so I, I think that's a little bit strange, you know. Um, and so, so Hong Kong and Singapore are just complicated. There, there's hair on them. They're complicated. And there's no, there's no benefit to having, uh, having uh, a company in, in those jurisdictions, uh, really. You know, a, a Hong Kong company allows you access to Hong Kong banking, but that's, you know, no great prize these days because um, Hong Kong banking is just completely complicated. I mean, my clients are telling me all about the, the different mess that their banks are, are putting them through. So, so basically, you know, for those reasons, I, and then Singapore is about half as bad as, as Hong Kong as far as complication goes. So I kind of knocked those off the list. And then after that, it's, I, I think it's really a flat, I think it's really pretty much a flat earth. You know, like there's, I don't think there's a principled reason why, um, you know, Panama is better than St. Lucia or Anguilla or Barbados or Belize or St. Kitts or, you know, I, like, I don't, I don't think there's any, you know, I, it's kind of like the same thing we we're talking about earlier with uh, Wyoming versus Nevada versus Delaware. It, there's no quality component. It, you know, you, all these places you compete with, with each other for business, you know? So, um, so in all of them, you can form a company without going there and then you don't ever have to go for to have meetings of your company or anything like that. And, and they're not subject, you know, your company's not subject to tax by law as opposed to some having to apply for it like in Hong Kong. Um, so really they're all the same. And so, you know, my clients use Belize company simply because I'm in Belize and I, and actually I own a company that forms a Belize company. So, uh, you know, I know the rules for how it all works. And I was a director, um, uh, of BIFSA, which is the organization of, um, of uh, offshore service providers here in Belize. So I helped, you know, come up with the rules. So I know, and I know the people who enforce the rules. So it's one of those things where it's just easier uh, for my clients to do stuff in Belize. You know, but if uh, if my cl- if my wife had been from Anguilla instead of Belize and I was, a, I was in Anguilla now, well, then I would have a, an Anguillan company that forms Anguillan companies, you know. So so, um, so it really doesn't matter. I mean, I, it's really a it, – it, I, I just don't think there's any – you know, any difference. And if, if for some reason you'd like the Cayman Islands as opposed to, uh, you know, St. Lucia or whatever, or Neva, you know, then go for it. You know, I, I don't think there's any uh, benefit to it really, but I don't think there's any drawbacks either. So recently after the election or before the elections, excuse me, Bernie Sanders was making the Panama LLCs and the corporations in the Panama papers, a hot topic. Was that addressing this this exact same thing, just incorporating in Panama these large corporations from the the U.S. using Panama to avoid taxes? Yeah, well, you know that thing got blown out of proportion. I mean, one one interesting thing about the Panama Papers is, like, people kept saying, "Oh, where are all the Americans?" You know, like, there's this Spanish soccer player, and there's this, mm-hmm. you know, the, and, and and like the Americans that uh that were found out. Uh, through the Panama Papers leak were like fraudsters, like people who were doing like uh, pyramid schemes and stuff like that, you know, mm-hmm. and people were like, oh, yeah, we, well, we got them. I mean, but we know they're bad. But where are all the other people that are hiding their money? Uh, and then they were like, oh, yeah, all these Americans, there's a lot of people who just own a real estate somewhere in the Caribbean and they're using a company. So this is all boring. You know, where are the Americans? Maybe they're not being released. But, you know, that wasn't surprising to me at all because that's, you know, first of all, of course, uh, of course, people who do pyramid schemes and stuff like that use uh, 
use offshore companies to hide their money because they use all sorts of stuff to do bad things because they're they are people who do bad things mm-hmm. you know so so every uh you know an offshore company is basically like like a hammer you know you can go to a hardware store and buy a hammer well you, with a hammer you can build a house or you can break into a house right, right. Uh, and so uh, so you know it, it, it a hammer is not a bad thing to exist it's not like we should we should uh you know burn all hammers and and, and bury them you know it's like hammers are a fine thing it's just that some people use them for bad things you know and so uh, and then other people use them to buy uh, real estate in the Caribbean. Like they own a condo in Belize, and and they own it through an Anguillan company or a Pan- or a Panama company, you know. So um, or they own farmland in uh, in Costa Rica, and you know they own it through a Costa Rican company. So um, you know it's just like it's it's a there are reasons they are like they are my clients, you know, and they they're digital nomads and they own a business and there are U S tax reasons, uh, to own a business through a non U S corporation. So, and then it'd be silly to pay non U S tax just to have your, your company in some jurisdiction that's going to impose tax. So they have a Belize company and, and they, and they operate their business through that. So, so, uh, so yeah, I mean, it's, it's one of those things where, uh, you know, sometimes people seem to think, and also what's even more disturbing is when, um, uh, when, when like sometimes expats uh, on, or expat entrepreneurs or digital nomads get infected by this anti-offshore company thinking, you know, and so, so like I, you know, I've talked to several different people who have the exact perfect fact pattern um, to to use a non-U.S. corporation structure and save a whole bunch of money on U.S. tax, but they have this whole mentality of oh that's that's wrong to do, you know, this Panama Papers thing and stuff, and so they're just operating through a Wyoming LLC and they're paying a whole ton, paying you know twenty five thousand dollars a year or more in uh, in U.S. tax. Well, if they simply had a better legal structure. Um, you know, they would, they could legally reduce their tax bill, you know, sometimes down to $0 a year, you know, and, and, and deferring a portion of that tax until, um, until they pull the money out in the future. So, yeah, so it's, you know, it's nothing to worry about this whole Panama Papers thing. It's, um, it's just that, um, you know, and obviously if someone is, is hiding money, then that's something they shouldn't do. But just because you're using a, a non-U.S., uh, corporation to do business through doesn't mean that you're hiding it. You know, like my clients fill out all kinds of paperwork uh, to the IRS to you know tell them about about their structure and, and the whole, all the details of the structure um, are sent to the IRS every every year, so they you know they know all about it. Now, I found it really interesting that Apple decided to use Ireland as their tax haven. Was there any specific reason they did that? Yeah, you know, Ireland has been used. Uh, uh, for several years by large companies for different IP uh, related things. And yeah, I saw that in the paper and I haven't like looked in, into the details of, of all that yet. You know, that's, that's sort of a different world, like what, what non U S companies uh, do. And, and, you know, some of those things are like, if you can save 2% um, in, in tax for you and me, that's not like, that's not worth spending that much money on. But for Apple, if it's, if you're saving 2% of a, of a couple of billion dollars, mm-hmm. then, uh, then it's definitely worth doing. So, so a lot of this stuff they do is, uh, you know, 2% sort of things, you know, just because it's, it, it's worth spending a few million dollars to save a, a couple of percent on you know, a few billion dollars. So, um, so, you know, so a lot of those strategies just aren't, uh, worthwhile, you know, for, for, for folks like us. And then the other thing is, you know, a lot of times people in the U.S., people who live in the U.S., uh, see 
these multinational companies using non-U.S. corporations to avoid U.S. tax. And they think, well, why can't I do that too? And, and the reason is that these multinational companies actually have operations outside the U.S. So they have people on the ground outside the U.S. who are running uh, their business. And, and, and those are the businesses that are held uh, through non-U.S. companies. So, um, so that's, you know, that's kind of why, like, you know, whenever I say, you know, to an entrepreneur that you have to move outside the U.S. first, what I'm saying is you have to move, you have to move the people who operate your business outside the U.S. And for a lot of my clients, that's the person I'm on the phone with, you know, like that's the main person at least who is operating the business. Stuart, my friend, we're going to wrap up there. I want to give you a big thank you for coming on to the show and sharing your wisdom and intelligence with us. And I think the listeners would learn a lot from this. And if there's anybody out there that wants to reach out to you to get a hold of you to find out more information, where could they do that at? Yeah, check out uh, ustax.bz. So that's BZ as in Belize. And, and uh my website. I've got a bunch of articles. I've got a podcast as well. And, you know, that's how you can reach out and we can, you know, have a talk about your specific situation. Do you want to tell the listeners some of the things you're talking about on your podcast? Yeah, yeah. So actually, um, I'm at an interesting point in the podcast, I guess. You know, you know I'm a tax lawyer, so I'm kind of uh, pedantic and methodical. And so I started the podcast uh, by, you know, discussing the basics, you know, so we talked about the foreign earned income exclusion, the foreign tax credit, foreign housing deduction, uh, or exclusion. And then, um, then I, I put all those basics together. So we, we talked about, uh, you know, how it all works for an employee, uh, living outside the U S and then for a freelancer living outside the U S and then the last episode talked about how it works for an entrepreneur, uh, living outside the U S. So, so now in the, the very next episode, I'm going to actually talk about the actual legal structure. So today we've been talking, you know, you and I have been talking in generalities. Um, and so the next episode, I'm going to talk about the like exact uh, legal structure that a lot of my clients use uh, and, you know, that, that I put together for them. And then, you know, uh, we're going to kind of go off on the, on the, on the different topics and, and, you know, discuss, uh, you know, more, you know, get in depth on like, you know, um, narrower topics kind of around this area. Sounds amazing. Stuart, thank you so much again for coming on the show. I really appreciate it, my friend. And with that, listeners and Stuart, we're going to sign off for today. And goodbye, everybody. Thanks, Chris. The Entrepreneur House is a business accelerator for established entrepreneurs. Imagine spending an extended period of time with other successful entrepreneurs working together and growing your business. Day to day, you interact with other driven and smart business people. Spending an extended period of time around them alters your business and your mentality around business. Goals are set, business grows, new partnerships develop, greater profit margins are achieved, the productivity skyrockets for those that are in the entrepreneur house, and you get to have an incredible adventure while doing it. This year we have three different events, a three-day productivity weekend in different cities all around the world, a two-week all-inclusive retreat for entrepreneurs with six-figure businesses. This will be full of workshops, masterminds, and adventure. Then a four-week event in Chiang Mai, Thailand for established entrepreneurs, also full of workshops, masterminds, advisors, and fun weekend social events. Be sure to check out the details at theentrepreneurhouse.com as soon as possible. These events will fill up fast. For those of you that are interested in have some questions be sure to contact us through the entrepreneurhouse.com forward slash contact we will respond as soon as possible for now saludos from somewhere in the world